Wednesday Week in Missouri Politics, very special week at the Missouri Capitol. I want to bring you the foremost uh, foreign policy expert I know in the state of Missouri, former Senator Jim Talent. Thank you for the time. That's high praise. You know a lot of people. Thank you. Uh, and, I, and I very much mean it. And I guess the question I have, let's start from the top, uh, you probably have much better sources than anyone I know. What's happening right now on the ground in Ukraine as we tape this Friday morning? As yeah, say. it's Friday morning, Yes. which means by Saturday morning could be out of date. <laughs> yes. So with all the usual caveats, I think the Russians are winning some battles but losing the war. And the people who understand this, I'm not uh, an operational military expert. You have people watching this uh, who have been in wars. But uh, I think there's, there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, they, didn't, they failed to achieve air superiority, much less air dominance. Uh, they have failed uh, to disrupt the Ukrainian command and control. I mean, you, the Ukrainian government's in control of the U Ukrainian mm -hmm. military. They've not engaged in combined arms. In other words, when you do an invasion, you have to defeat an army. Your heavy units, your, your armor, and your infantry, and your air need to work together to clear the enemy away, and they're not doing that. They're sending out elements uh, by themselves, or they're operating by themselves, which leaves them vulnerabilities. They have obvious logistical problems. Most of that's anecdotal, but there's so much, you know, running out of gas, yeah. uh, running out of food. It's anecdotal, but there's so many of them. Not uh, to a soldier whose vehicle won't run or he right. can't eat lunch. What I mean, what I mean is if you're trying to get an overall, that will happen, but there's so many of them that it looks like a trend. And they've divided their forces when they didn't have overwhelming force. They had decided, uh, and I think they're in real trouble, and I'm glad about that because uh, th that'll put paid, I think, to Putin's ambitions. And we've seen how dis destabilizing and dangerous you know, those are. I mean, we've got a nuclear plant now. Now, I think it's under control, but uh, war can have unpredictable results. Um, I guess the next question would be, you see, folks, I, I can't imagine there's anybody watching this that's inspired and respect the Ukrainian people and what they've done, the resistance they've put up, that the president is uh, an amazing figure. Right. But really, at the end of the day, if you're just if you own a gun store in West Plains, why do you care? Oh, about Ukraine? Yeah, about the whole thing. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, there's a the United States has an interest in maintaining some degree of stability. This is not the answer most foreign policy experts would <laughs> give first, but it's something I believe yeah. very strongly. So I want to communicate. We have an interest in maintaining some degree of of stability in the important areas of the world because things can happen that you don't expect. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, I was opposed to American military involvement in Syria, in the Syrian civil war. I think Obama was right and I think Trump was right, okay? I still am. But that led to this massive ref refugee crisis in Europe, which destabilized it. It definitely would have been better had we been able to prevent that civil war. So if Putin had been able to do what he wanted to do here, which was quickly take out the Ukrainians, just absorb the country, now we've got a huge problem in the Baltic countries, for example, which are NATO allies. We are bound by treaty and by interest to defend them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and, and he would have moved. In other words, he would have shifted his sights to other countries and we could have been looking at a war with Russia. So it would have been far better had we been able to deter this. And given that we, you know, largely through our weakness, we did not deter it, uh, it would, it's far better that he lose, so that reduces the threat to, to areas that are, uh, you know, the defense of which is a vital interest of the United States. So, moving forward, I hear sanctions. When I hear the United Nations security, I mean, my thought is, well, 
Putin might be in danger from pulling a muscle from laughing. Yeah. But the sanctions, which I've always thought is like, whatever, that's something you do that it's very hard for, for a person like myself to see any impact in that. Right. This feels different. There's something about the world and the way they're talking and the way you can see the price of the ruble moving. It feels like these sanctions might actually mean something to an average Russian. Right. Well, there's two other reasons why I think the Russians are going to lose. Um, you know, I hope I'm, I hope nobody's writing me in a week saying what a fool I was to say that. Uh, one of them is they're going to run out of money, and the sanctions are the reason. The other is, and I didn't mention this, but you mentioned Zelensky. So the Ukrainians are just dominating the, the, what's called the information domain. Mm -hmm. They've won the narrative war. It's not even close. And the Russians are supposedly so good at that. Sanctions will not, the threat of sanctions, generally speaking, will not deter kinetic aggression, okay? The use of hard power to invade a neighbor, mm -hmm. and they didn't deter it here, okay? Uh, but uh, if you do them right, they can have a significant punitive effect. And doing them right means going in-depth, and you have to have all the major economic powers together. So this is particularly uh, difficult for Russia because the West has substantially cut them off from the international payment system. Mm -hmm. Okay, They can't access the dollars they have in foreign reserves, and they can't use interbank transfers to pay for things. Okay, And so that's caused a run on their currency, which was not strong to begin with. So yes, this is having a substantial punitive effect. Now, it's not going to be good for any of us either, particularly given that we're so dependent on Russian oil, which is one of the areas I said we were weak. We made a huge mistake. We've got to produce energy in this country. And we can. There's shell, there's shell guys. <laughs> we were doing it under Trump. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like Donald. I thought Trump did a, did a good job overall as president, but he's clearly right about that. Will, will a regular Russian citizen, do they right now, well, they may not know there's even a war in Ukraine. Do they know something's different? Yeah, because the, the currency is collapsing. They're afraid. As a matter of fact, there are lines outside okay. Russian banks because they're afraid that uh, the banks are going to shut down, that they're going to lose their money. Uh, and it's becoming more difficult to get items. Prices are going up. Yeah, they know. So when I said the information domain, I mean, Putin hasn't even really successfully controlled the narrative in Russia. He hasn't really put out a coherent negative, except, I mean, saying you're denazify a country that has a Jewish leader is, I mean, I, I don't know if you're in the Kremlin, there certainly would have been better arguments, even yeah. if it was, we want to do this. But let me, so the narrative where I agree is one. I watched the narrative change for Germany on shutting down this gas light pipeline. Yeah. Then I watched Germany slowly come on to SWIFT. Now they're rearming. It, now the next thing is a no-fly zone. We want a no-fly zone. If you were sitting in the room advising the president, as you have before, pre previous presidents, would you advise him to have a no-fly no. zone or not? No. We should not use, you can't, you have to enforce a no-fly zone. Mm -hmm. Who's going to enforce it? Well, it'll be America, right? NATO forces, nobody but America. which means particularly, I mean, NATO is an alliance, but when you're talking about a major commitment in NATO forces, you're talking about American You're talking forces. about American friends, right? right? Yeah. So, well, what does that mean? Well, that means American... Mm -hmm. Of uh, fighter aircraft, probably F-35s, maybe F-15s, getting in dogfights with Russian aircraft. Oh, could that escalate? Yeah, well, someone's going to die, right? We, we have a significant, and I've said this from the beginning. We should not use American military forces to defend Ukraine. They are not a treaty ally. Now, if this were Poland, see, this is why you want to prevent it in Poland or Lithuania 
or Estonia, because now we're going right up against the Russians. And the way to prevent it, Scott, is to be strong, okay? We drew down our force. What we did in, in, in the aughts and uh, through some of the Obama years, we admitted more and more members to NATO at the same time as we were drawing down our forces radically in Europe, expanding our commitments while weakening our power, okay? As of 2013, we had drawn down so far, this is, I hope everything I tell you is the truth, but I, I, I put this in a column. We didn't have a tank in Europe. Wow. Yeah. I bet you, know, I bet you people no, did not know No, because we drawn, this is why when Putin says, you were a threat to me, what, what do you mean? Yeah. We, we still had forces, but they were in Italy and Germany, so most why, of them Why forces. did he do this? This seems like he's in this with bad logistics, poor plan. It feels like it's going poorly. It actually, for the first time I've ever seen, feels like a sanction might actually hurt a country. They might just not shrug it off. Why did he do this? Well, first of all, he, he did not believe the reaction would... Mm -hmm. he, he didn't believe the Ukrainians could defend themselves. He didn't believe that other countries would respond in this fashion. Now, the real question, that's pretty clear. The question is why, because Putin is a shrewd customer. Okay, so when our presidents, Trump, Obama, Bush, were saying, he's a shrewd customer and a good leader, they were just telling the truth. But I think what's happened is he got so isolated, he had his inner circle, and they were afraid to tell him anything he didn't want to hear. This is a very common thing. It's a weakness of authoritarian structures that he convinced himself of things when there was a high risk, at minimum, that they were not true. And, and so then he decided to, you know, pull the trigger on this operation, and now he's stuck. So right now we're talking, always like I said, it's air Sunday morning, we're talking Friday morning. They have not taken the capital. They have not taken the president. They've taken a mid-sized city Kharkiv, in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, at what point does he run out of money? Does he, at what point does he do something desperate or does he have to face the fact this might not work? Does this go into next week? Is this a month-long thing? Yeah, this is one of the, when I talk about the unpredictability of yeah. war, there is a non-zero possibility that he does something desperate. Yes. Now, I think it's small. I don't, I've actually had calls. My younger daughter, bless her heart, called me up. She's at college. She said, and she's serious, should I be worried about a nuclear thing happening here? And I said, no, it's not to the level that you need to worry about it. But even a non-zero possibility of that mm -hmm. is too high a possibility. See, this is why you want to, one of the reasons you want to prevent this sort of thing, if you can. Scott Reagan understood this. Yeah. We, we reached the zenith of our power relative even to the Soviets by the end of the Reagan administration. The first president, the only president until Trump, who didn't get us involved in a war because we were strong. Teddy Roosevelt said, you walk softly, but carry a big stick, okay? We weakened ourselves, and so now we have this, okay? So when does it end? I, he has to be running out of money. He can't get access to his, his reserves, but, but when, I don't know. Um, it would actually be good if we were working with the Ukrainians to try and get him an off-ramp. Yeah. Currently, I mean, they, Ukraine would be West Berlin. Every free country would want to invest in it. It would be the right, right. last question I have for you. Uh, my just Ozark's hillbilly horse sense tells me China probably ends up being where Russia goes and becomes almost a, the, the Robin to China's Batman. 
How does this end? Yeah, well, they already really are. I mean, Putin has accepted junior partner status there. He really had no choice. Uh, and he's been playing the game for a lot of reasons with China. They still have divergencies of interest over India, for example, and Putin's not given up his relationship with India. The Arctic, Putin claims most of the Arctic, and the Chinese want that like they want everything. Okay, uh, this will now become more pronounced, assuming the Chinese stick with it. I mean, people say the Chinese will buy the oil. Yeah, they will. Okay. Yeah, but what, yeah. But at what price? Yeah. The Chinese are not going to just help him out. Okay. The Chinese wouldn't be who you want to be beholden to in the world, right? No. Yeah. They don't really have friends. They have people they buy and people, that, or countries they buy and countries they intimidate. Those are the two. And uh, Putin is not in a strong position to get a good deal with them now. Well, Senator Talent, thank you so much for coming here and breaking the situation down. Everybody it's always fun. Thank you. We'll be right back with the Happy Warrior Missouri Conservatives. Tony Lovasco on the show after this. All across Missouri, our new car and truck dealers are building strong local economies. When you buy a car or truck in Missouri, you're helping to support over 20,000 Missouri families who rely on the auto industry for good-paying local jobs. You're also helping fund our communities, schools, first responders, and our roads because dealers generate millions of dollars in tax revenue. Missouri's automobile dealers have been the foundation of our communities for generations and for generations to come. The Missouri Automobile Dealers Association, the heart of Missouri. For more than a century, the St. Louis Carpenters Union has shaped our communities. Through trusted alliances, we deliver skilled professional craftspeople while our business partners provide the kind of quality jobs that keep our economy humming. It's a blueprint that has worked since 1882. Turning Missouri into a right-to-work state stalls progress, wipes out jobs, and kills momentum. Right to work is wrong for everyone. Let's keep Missouri moving forward. Visit carpdc.org to learn more. Your energy needs are changing. That's why at Ameren, Missouri, we're not waiting on the future. We're building it with the Smart Energy Plan, advancing thousands of projects across the state, helping reduce emissions through cleaner energy sources, boost reliability with self-healing equipment, and better withstand storms with new composite poles. Moving Missouri forward and bringing us all a little closer together. That's energy at work, Ameren, Missouri. Welcome back to Week in Missouri Politics. First time on the show, Mike Gross, welcome back. Uh, welcome to the show's Alderman running for Alderman Central West End. The committee man running for Alderman in the Central West End, 28th so Ward. If you've been to the Chase, you've been, been to Muni, you've been to Forest Park, that is your neck of the woods, right in St. Louis? Absolutely, yes. Rasheen Aldridge, friend of the show. Welcome back, sir. Love the jacket. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be back. Had to show off for you, my friend. That makes me want to lose weight, get in that thing. <laughs> uh, Mark Dalton, the Carpenters Union. Welcome back, sir. Glad, glad to be back. And the happy warrior of Missouri Republican, Missouri conservatives, maybe, Tony Lavasco. Very glad to have you back, sir. Thanks, Scott. These maps. You guys shot a map out, and it was really interesting. You shot that 6-2 map out before the cavalry really came, before the pressure got turned up, right? <laughs> So you had that map over there and the Senate's dealing with it and they've never been able to not deal with it. They've never moved anything back over to you. We're getting the week before spring break. Uh, at some point, don't you think you're just gonna have to say, look, make one more run at it in the Senate and we just couldn't get it done. It goes and the, the court in Kansas City just draws you a congressional map. I don't think so. I do think we'll ultimately get a map, but uh, I don't think it's gonna be next week. 
Uh, I think there's a couple ways this can go, honestly. Uh, there's a chance that the House might decide, you know, we're tired of waiting and we're going to just send another map over there and just uh, see what happens. I don't think that's a high chance, but uh, it's on the table. Well, that'd be a fastball, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, the other option, too, well, I think, is... I assume is, that map might not be one that Congressman Cleaver would appreciate. That would be my guess. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Regina Aldridge, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I, I think Congressman Cleaver would be the beneficiary of it, but I think folks on the Republicans are, look, look, we'd rather have six districts mm -hmm. that we know will win yeah. than stretch out a little bit more. Plus, Emmanuel Cleaver has served this state very well. You may be disagree with his, some of his votes, but right now, if you want to call the White House... There's like one person when Roy Blunt retires that could get that call returned. Yeah. It's Emanuel Cleaver. That's a congressman from the Kansas City side. Yeah. You know, like you say, he, he's been a congressman that has really done uh, some great work for the state of Missouri. I mean, he's also a pastor. I mean, how do, how do you take out the pastor who's like, you know, just praying that Missouri can continue to grow in great ways? But I think that would, you know, if they try to do that, that would be a bad move. And Democrats would be ready to fight to make sure we protect them. Yeah, but it's not just, uh, it's not just Democrats that are holding this up. It's, it's, it's not just Republicans. I mean, you have uh, Senator Stephen Roberts. Many are talking about it, could run for Congress, has some changes he wants to see to the first, and the first is Voting Rights Act District protected. But still, I mean, he'd like to see some moves that might make his run a little more advantageous. That runs up against Sam Wagner. It is not just uh, the conservative caucus filibustering this map. Well, how's that strike in the central west end? I mean, I think it is really the, the Republicans filibustering this map and holding this up. I mean, I think that it, it's just ridiculous that we're here we are what, it's in Mar March and we're still messing around with drawing this map. I mean, this could have been handled by a special session, you know, last year, but it wasn't. Um, and now, you know, just another example of the Republicans just not being able to govern. And now we're messing around with maps when we, candidates need to be planning how they're going to run. You know, candidates need to know what lines they're running on, and they can't because we're still messing around. Mark Alden, um, uh, you sit in the gallery with me sometimes. The 7-1 talk is, is fine, and I, and I believe there's a lot of activists that wear the stickers that mm -hmm. believe it. But in reality, you've got two issues here. You've got Democrats in the Senate, one of more advantageous district for, for Steve Roberts, Senator yep. Roberts, and you have Republicans on the conservative caucus side. They want a district that has St. Charles County in it, being the dominant force. That's really the undertones that are at play here. I don't see how you make, if, if you could make those two people happy, of course, but you move the lines on a map, it's almost like Ukraine. You move those lines on a map, somebody's not happy. Yeah, yeah, it's about, and it's, I think that's been a lot of the conversation. There's several senators that are running for Congress that are all looking for better maps for their districts. Yeah, and it's a it's a numbers game. You're trying to shift numbers here and there. So, and it's on both sides of the aisle. But, I mean, we're just talking hogs, dogs, and logs. Senator Burleson losing Marshfield ain't going to matter. Right. His, really. I mean, this is not a big of a deal. Now, Senator Braddon, if he were to get all of his primary opponents drawn out, that's a pretty good deal. Right. Uh, but really, this is down to about the Democrats could come in, vote with the Republicans, and pass a map if Steve Roberts was happy. However, yep. if you make him happy, then you don't make Ann Wagner happy, and then you don't make Dean Plotker happy. And, then a, and if you don't make, if you go back and you try to pass a different map, I'm not sure the House could do it. It is an interesting thing. I mean, no matter how you draw those maps, uh, you're probably not going to get there. And I think that maybe the biggest thing is 10 years ago, 20 years ago, members of Congress got together and agreed on a map. Mm -hmm. This time they couldn't do yeah. that. Yeah, and it's a you, you got certain members of Congress with with things getting so polarized. You got Republican members that want a Republican district, but they don't want a two Republican because they're, they're going to be out conservative. Or they want the right Republicans that are their right. county in it. Yep. Do you see any problem? Now you're, this is a little interesting question for you. I don't see a problem with Bob Under saying, "Hey, I want to run for Congress. I want my own district." Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, something to think about, but I think to be honest, the problem here is that we're caring too much about what the incumbent 
representatives think on either side of the aisle. I, there's a reason that we draw the maps and they don't, and that's it's supposed to tell be Tell me you're objective. talking about Congressman Luke Tamar without telling me you're talking about Congressman Luke Tamar, right? It's not just him. I think we've got problems from all across the board there, and that's really throwing a wrench into things. I agree. Talk about Ukraine. That's the topic on everybody's mind. Your heart goes out to those folks. What an amazing thing they've done to fight off the Red Army as they have. Um, the House came together along with Lieutenant Governor Kehoe to yeah. present a resolution and support. The Capitol was lit up in blue and gold. Um, tell folks about there's a, there's a person that works on the House staff that's from Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, this week, with everything that's going on in Ukraine, it's really been a beautiful week, I think, uh, for Missouri politics just to show uh, the, the bipartisan support of, support of saying, hey, we need to stand with Ukraine. And uh, even just uh, yesterday, or earlier this, uh, early in the week on Thursday, you know, one of our staffers uh, that works in the House, Eeyore, is uh, from Ukraine. He, he lives here. His family, majority of it, is still over in uh, Ukraine. So it, it, was, it was really great to see not just the House lit up, it was great, I mean, the Capitol lit up. It was great to see, you know, our Treasurer come together, our AG, I mean, our um, Lieutenant Governor come together, the House come together and say, hey, we need to stop any things that come in from Russia. We need to make sure we support Ukraine. We need to make sure we support individuals that work in this building that, you know, come from Ukraine. It's really been, a, you know, an unfortunate time, but to see the love um, across both sides of the aisle to say, we need to do something, even though, you know, technically we can't uh, do much like Congress can, but we need to send a strong message to the president that there needs to be more action taken. Oh, we could. We could put it in a no-fly zone, but we don't care enough, right? You know, I, th I think it's actually quite the opposite. Uh, one of the things that was remarkable about this discussion, I think, behind the scenes was there's a lot of bipartisan agreement that direct military intervention is not the way to go here. Uh, that's something that you don't really see in these types of situations. Usually it's the Republicans that are beating the war drums and the Democrats are telling us not to. Uh, this time, I think we were all kind of on the same page that, look, we can support Ukraine. We can, you know, make Russia hurt, but uh, we don't want to be sending soldiers over there. I uh, guess we care, but not that much, right? Well, we care about our folks, too. Sure. There you go. One thing that's interesting, I see the refugees coming out of Ukraine. Uh, St. Louis has a, maybe the greatest refugee assimilation they've ever had with the Bosnian folks that came over here after the last war that I believe was not started by a Republican. But uh, the, last, the last time there were refugees at St. Louis was very welcoming. Is that something you could see happening again? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, we've shown in St. Louis that, that we've had success before with yes. the Bosnians and that, you know, we're, we're starting to see even like the next generation of Bosnians come up and you're seeing like kids and grandkids of the folks that were, you know, came over as refugees starting to, to make it um, on their own now. And, you know, I think that we even picked up recent refugees um, from Afghanistan and they're assimilating really well. Um, you know, we, we have space for these folks. We have a lot of, you know, energy. We have a charitable um, personality in St. Louis. I, I think that um, it, we, we'd love to have as many as we can get. Mark Dalton, is it true though? I mean, you know, it's almost the equivalent of when there's a shooting, someone says thoughts and prayers and a code word for I don't give a damn. I mean, you know, it's nice light of the Missouri Capitol, yeah. but in reality, America just doesn't care enough to go stop this. Well, I think it's, we've learned a lot from our uh, decades over in Afghanistan. Sure. We just pulled the troops out. If you do put in a no-fly zone, I mean, that is going to directly draw our mm -hmm. troops uh, into to air combat. So I think we're trying to, it's a delicate balance, but... Um, yeah, I mean, lending all the support we can and, and to anyone that's going to, you know, come here, you know, welcoming them. But you do see a lot of unity and people supporting Ukraine. It's, uh, it's great to see. You do politics for a living. The U.S. Senate race can be one of the most interesting primaries, at least since 16, the Republican gubernatorial primary. Um, Griden's hanging in high 20s, right. 30. Yeah. Schmidt has moved up into the 20s. That's, that's maintaining. Congresswoman Hartzer's kind of been where she's at for the most part of the race. Um, 
to me, I, I, they get, we won't call it a Mexican standoff. We'll call it an Audrain County standoff, right? It looks to me like you got folks, Billy Long, Dave Shots, they have money. Yep. But they don't spend it to attack anybody. If you don't attack the front runner at some point, he'll just win. It'll be too late. Yeah, and, uh, and I think that's what we've kind of seen. He's just been trickling along, trickling along. Um, yeah, no one's really attacking him. I, I assume that's going to start pretty soon now that filing is open. People are seeing who's actually in. I think you're going to see uh, things start to get pretty dirty against the, uh, uh, do we still call him a disgraced former governor uh, that is running for Senate? And, you know, a lot of his activities in the past, I think, are going to come out. and It's going to get dirty pretty quick. I'm sure there's nothing else. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this. Could Jack Danforth come in? I don't think it's really rational that a person, I, I've not heard anybody talk about what Jack Danforth does is criticize Republicans right. pretty much for a living, unless you hire his law firm that he doesn't say anything about a disgraced former governor. But when he comes in, then I think it's going to be a very interesting thing to see. I don't know that you can win that race, but you put him in the general, you might pull it down low enough for a Scott Sifton or a Lucas Coons to win. That's got to be their saving grace, right? We're absolutely looking at this race as something that's winnable for us. You know, with the, just with Grinds. With Grinds, yeah. Okay. And in Roll, <laughs> I mean, we're sitting here all talking to his friends. It's going to be tough if there's somebody else. It'll be tough with, it'll be a lot tougher with yeah. somebody else, I'll be honest. Those but 202 I, numbers, when you call them, probably don't pick up if it's somebody else. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I just think that it's incredible that, again, you know, I understand that Missouri is a Republican state, but why do we have to have, like, guys like Greitens as winning our Senate race? You know, and all Schmidt had to do was just not be nuts, and he couldn't do it, and he's not being able to do it. Ah, oh, Rasheen, you, <laughs> you spend your weekdays with a good sampling of this state. Is that right? Yeah, I think he's, I think he's head on. Really? I think he's head on. I think if, I think if you know, actually, I take it back. Uh, I take it back. I'm the real machine. Real. I think yes. Schmidt had to, you know, he yes. had to navigate to be more, a little crazier, to appeal to a, a new Republican base that is on a up and rise. So. I think that's uh, what I would try to emulate and call real talk. Yeah. Representative Vosco, uh, you have your, you know as many, have real relationships with as many activists as anybody that I know. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting race. I think Ryden's does have support. If you're ticked off, go sit by him. Schmidt's been the one that can have movement. Looks like some, a Congresswoman Hart is going to have some establishment support. And when we call Josh all of the establishment, it's kind of odd, but I think that's reality, the money. Uh, I don't think that endorsement is ever going to, like, no endorsement is going to spike you in, a, in the moment. But I think that may financially spike her. Who wins this? You know, I, I think it really depends. If Eric Schmidt starts winning lawsuits instead of just filing them, I think he gets it. If he doesn't, I think Hartzler might be a dark horse, horse here. I, I think that people are going to be looking for a non-Greitens candidate. I think her extra support from Holly's going to help, and I think uh, ultimately she's the only one actually going after Eric Greitens. Prediction. Yeah. Does Jack Danforth actually do the work to recruit a candidate and get him on the ballot and get him financially viable to make debates and be a serious part of this race? Not enough time. No? Uh, it, it could happen, but it's, it's really late in the game. Does that two no's? No faith? I don't think it's going to happen. I think that's three no faith. No. I think it's so. a unanimous decision. He'll talk and nothing will happen. Yeah. With a minute left, though, before we have to go over the air, which will happen, who won the week? I think Mike Kehoe won the, the week with a very early endorsement from the FOP. He's going to help him in that governor's race. Who won the week? Mike O'Donnell. His speech oh, on Ukraine was wow. just amazing. That, that, that um, Steve Webb gave a speech one time about schools. That might be the best house speech I've heard since I started the Missouri Times. That was a tremendous. It really, folks already get on the internet. It's worth it to them to go check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Who won the week? I think the House of Representatives won the week. Uh, you know, we passed a resolution that's condemning the Russian actions that's taking place in Ukraine. It was, uh, like Representative said, it was so many, uh, you know, members that are military or were former military individuals just speaking. And, and, and Michael said he was ready to go if he had to. But, you know, to see that 
bipartisan support, bipartisan support, everyone was on board, House of Representatives. One week. Internationally, you have to say Zelensky, but locally, sure. um, I'm going to say myself and St. Louis City Democrats. Uh, Republicans were trying to get a opponent on the ballot against me and my race and not have the party designation on the ballot. So it would just be a Democrat and a Republican with no DNR. Um, but really, Democrats across the city worked together and, and we lobbied the election board and they made a change. So now there's party designation. Is he going to be quoted on the House floor now when you try to get partisan school board elections? I think we might. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I'm going to break the rules this week and go too far. Matthew Porter of the MS Society doing some tremendous work, so really, really making a difference and changing some lives. And I'm going to say Igor from the House. He uh, works in the House staff. He's from Ukraine, has family in Ukraine, gave a tremendous speech this week talking about his homeland and what they're going through. We hope to see you next week here on This Week in Missouri Politics. This Week in Missouri Politics, sponsored by the Missouri Association of Career Fire Protection Districts, Spire, and Sterling Bank.